0: Is Donald Trump a conservative? I'm a conservative, actually very conservative, and I'm a Republican. His record is horrendous when it comes to conservative principles. I really think he's a fake conservative.
1: I don't think he's consistently been anything in his life other than a promoter of himself.
0: He's running for the conservative
1: party's nomination. He should be a conservative, and he hasn't shown it.
0: Conservatives have held sway in the Republican Party for the past 50 years. In fact, to most people today, the word conservative is synonymous with the word Republican. But it hasn't always been that way. To understand what makes Trump such a unique phenomenon and how he could reshape the future of Republican politics, we're going to go back to the birth of modern conservatism in the GOP when Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater launched his presidential campaign in 1964. The incumbent that year was Democrat Lyndon B. Johnson, who envisioned a massively expanded federal government as a tool to end poverty, cure disease, reign in a whole new era of equality through the Civil Rights Act. And along came Barry Goldwater, this combative senator from the desert who defined his platform entirely in opposition to those ideas. Instead, he championed limited government, low taxes, and the rights of the individual. His platform, which was pretty radical at the time, brought conservatism to the center of Republican politics. And it would stay that way for the next 50 years, until maybe now. And I'm a conservative, but don't forget, this is called the Republican Party. It's not called the Conservative Party. You know, there are conservative parties. It's called the Republican Party. This is No One Knows Anything, the politics podcast from BuzzFeed News. I'm McKay Coppins, senior political writer here at BuzzFeed. Today, we're going to be talking about what happens when political parties change. Where did the conservative movement come from? How did it take over? And could Donald Trump kill it? Catherine Miller joined me to talk about all of this. Uh, She's the politics editor here at BuzzFeed News, and she wrote about Trump, Goldwater, and conservatism from a personal perspective. We started our conversation by going back to the day Goldwater launched his campaign. So when Barry Goldwater announced his candidacy in January 1964, it was a key moment in the emergence of this relatively new movement, conservatism, but it was also uh, reading about it kind of a bizarre event, right?
1: Yeah, no, uh, Barry Goldwater was like on crutches (laughs) because he had had surgery uh, like the month before. In advance of his running for president, he had like bone spurs, but something wrong with his foot.
0: And it was just at his house.
1: Yeah, he was like in lots of pain.
0: and So he just like hobbled out to his like front patio (laughs) and said he was running for president? Well, before he
1: did it, though, it was organized press. It was a lot of local press and some national reporters. And Goldwater comes out of the house and his daughter had just gotten engaged the week before at Christmas or something like that. And he comes out and he says, actually, she's knocked up. And she's getting married next week. Thanks for coming out for the announcement.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What a way to launch a bid. Okay, so I want to play a clip from Goldwater's announcement that I think gets at the tension between him and Johnson over what role the federal government should play in people's lives. I've always stood for individual responsibility and against regimentation. I believe we must now make a choice. In this land and not continue drifting endlessly down toward a time when all of us all of our lives our property our hopes and even our prayers will become just cogs in a vast government machine that sounds a lot like the republican party we know individual liberties limited government but something that you have to keep in mind is that in 1964 people were pretty optimistic about what the government could do And Johnson's vision for a great society was extremely popular. Goldwater would end up winning the Republican nomination, which came as a huge shock to a lot of people in the party. Uh, One biographer put it this way, it would be like a socialist winning the Democratic Party's nomination.
1: One of the things that... A lot of people know, but I didn't really, um, really appreciate was how how much diversity there was in the Republican Party in terms of, and and in both parties, you had actual people that identified as liberal Republicans that were an important block of the party in the 1960s. And when you think of people like Nelson Rockefeller, John Lindsay, who was the mayor of New York... Like those people were actual liberal Republicans. I mean, that's
0: like insane. Like, can you, you imagine somebody running as a liberal Republican now? No. It's not something that happens. Like, <laughs> no. you would lose your primary in a second.
1: The party really changed. There's, uh, I was looking for something else and I found this New York Times article from, I think, 65 or 66. And there's this backbencher who came in like fourth. In a statewide race who's conservative and he's like the end of the you know like the liberal republicans day is coming to a close and like all the people quoted in the piece are like ha 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 they're like giving these very cute quotes like right. sort of like lots of irony and you know sort of twisting the knife on this guy's loss and i mean it, it was over it within within a few years like, <laughs> he was right he was it's probably right. like a he lot of the quotes right. people gave
0: about donald trump, trump at the beginning yeah. of the primaries right <laughs> I want to play another clip from that 1964 election. It's a now famous ad that the Johnson campaign ran called Confessions of a Republican. And it was targeting the moderates and liberal voters in the Republican Party, the Rockefeller Republicans, who they hoped would be scared off by the rise of this new right wing movement that Goldwater represented. The ad starts and it's a shot of a man who turns and looks right at the camera. It's a guy, he's sitting in glasses, he looks very Mad Men-esque. I don't know just why they wanted to call this a confession. I, I certainly don't feel guilty about being a Republican. I've he's always, always been, been a Republican. Republican.
1: He's always voted Republican.
0: But when we come to Senator Goldwater, now it seems to me we're up against a, a very different kind of a man.
1: And this just doesn't seem like a Republican he's seen before. Mm. And it's had this sort of second life on the internet this spring as a, you know, oh, this is how Republicans are about Trump. I wish I'd ...been at that convention in San Francisco.
0: I mean, I wish I'd been a delegate. I really do, because I I would have fought, you know? And I wouldn't have worried so much about party unity, because if you unite behind a man you don't believe in, it's a lie. The guy in Johnson's ad was an actor, but he was channeling a lot of the feelings that Republicans had about Goldwater. That he was too radical, too scary. This year, Hillary Clinton actually remade the confessions of a Republican ad. Same lighting, same script, even the same actor, but this time talking about Donald Trump. Look, I I was a Republican who voted for Eisenhower and Nixon. My father was a Republican. His father was, the whole family was. But Donald Trump, he's a different kind of man. The Clinton campaign was calling back to a moment in the Republican Party's history when a candidate emerged who seemed way out of line with the mainstream. Goldwater got walloped in 1964. Most of the states he carried were in the Deep South, where his vote against the Civil Rights Act made him popular with white voters. But while it didn't seem obvious at the time, Goldwater's conservative ideology would end up defining the party for the next half a century. The question now is whether Donald Trump could do the same. You know, one of the things you wrote about that's so interesting that I think a lot of people don't quite realize is that out of the Goldwater movement grew this kind of whole, uh, th- this whole like elaborate network of conservative institutions and uh, conservative book clubs and, and right. companies catering to conservatives. And you were a, a teenage and college conservative who partook in this in this whole movement.
1: Yes, the secret, the secret has been revealed. I wrote for a conservative paper. Which was funded by a group, a national conservative group that basically traces its roots to the sixties, and it you know it was great. It gave me opportunities to write, and it gave me it was the editor of a paper. Mm-hmm. But it also wasn't like this national movement of conservatism. It usually it was like you'd show up, and it'd be like lectures about journalism and then like you'd go to a happy hour and it'd be like people in like seersucker suits
0: but so wait but what was the point of all of this (laughs) like there was some kind of grand ideal that was supposed to be driving all this so what was the mission
1: the mission i mean the mission was is basically the idea that the media is inherently liberal and that you either create your own media outside of it you create conservative media or you put conservative people in media Inside the mainstream media to make it more less liberal, I guess would be the.
0: So, like infiltrate the the, the mass liberal media and uh, and change it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, this, there's like, or or these organizations were supposed to be like training you as like insurgents who were gonna go into the mainstream media.
1: Well, how it would work is there were grants for college newspapers. And then if you were an editor, you go to a conference. And that was always, it was, it was like a lot of nerds getting together.
0: <laughs> and, nerds and, and tiny flag pins. On oh their yeah, blazers. no, it's
1: the only place besides the RNC I've ever seen anyone under 40, like unironically wear a flag pin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so th- this was not like the conservative ascendancy. This, the like, how would you describe this moment that you were entering into like college conservative politics?
1: Right. It was not a popular time to be it was a weird time to be like I am a conservative. Uh, the like, for instance, when I was in high school, there was a girl who drove around the fall of two thousand four with no Dick, no Bush, abstinence two thousand four <laughs> on the back of her car.
0: And you were in Northern Virginia. So as this was, like was a Northern Virginia. Yeah, this
1: was like yeah, this is a liberal, liberal-ish suburb yeah. of DC. I was back a couple weeks ago and I saw a Mercedes C three hundred with four Bernie Sanders stickers on the back. <laughs> Uh, but I was like the, as I think I've told you before, my like great innovation in high school was like, Oh, I can sit in the library during lunch. (laughs) So like, I wasn't like a delight to be around, but and and on top of that, I was like, I'm going to put Bush Cheney stickers on all my binders.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is like your big like protest. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh man, I'm gonna show them. So, but it was not, I mean, this was like the, yeah, Yeah. it was the end
0: of the Bush administration, which was like not a popular time to be a conservative. And then the arrival of Obama. Obama,
1: which was like a really fun, like meaningful experience for a lot of people uh, in college, uh, which I was somewhat apart from.
0: Let's take it to the present. It's 2016, we're just 11 weeks away from the presidential election, and Donald Trump is the Republican nominee. He was nominated by the same Republican Party that's been home to Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush, and dozens of Tea Party candidates across the country. And Donald Trump, this is kind of the big question that's been uh, asked a thousand times, but is Donald Trump... You know, is he a conservative? Did he grow out of that that movement that Goldwater helped start?
1: No, (laughs) it's like you
0: you could see Catherine's face when she said that
1: straight face. That was that was good.
0: Just for the listeners at home, I just wanna I want to get that on the record.
1: Here, here's what I would say. I'd say two things. One is, over the last 20 years, Trump has actually been pretty ideologically inconsistent, uh, and and. You know, there's certain things he's he said over, the, over time, but, you know, many things he's, he's actually advocated pretty liberal positions on. He, you know, he's talked about universal health care in the past. So I don't think, for one thing, he kind of comes out of the conservative movement. And then within this campaign, he's actually been fairly consistent on, you know, immigration, trade, certain aspects of the economy, and it has more uh, authoritarian, populist, um kind of a nationalistic approach it's it's very you know lots of law and order and i think that a certain kind of isolationism on foreign policy and that is different than you know what we th- would think of with conservatism over the, like the last few decades
0: well so i'm interested though in what it's been like over the past year watching the rise of donald trump from your perspective as somebody for whom conservatism is not just kind of an abstract ideology but was part of your identity or at least a big part of your identity for part of you know growing up or at least in college right like how, what was it like how what has it been like watching Trump overrun the the conservative movement I mean
1: it's not been it's not been fun <laughs> I don't think I've been in great mood this year you tell me if I have <laughs>
0: um, no, 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 no comment on that yeah.
1: um,
0: no, we, I think we've had we've had many like despair late night conversations.
1: (laughs) One of the things that I've sort of circled back around on personally is, for instance, you know, I'm from an affluent part of the country Mm -hmm. and I have never lived in a a congressional district that voted for Donald Trump in the Republican primary. Like even even in New York, I live in the district that voted for John Kasich. That (laughs) one district. (laughs) And so, you know, a, a lot of the things that Donald Trump complains or like has sort of uh, actualized the complaints of people are things that I never had to experience. Like, mm. I've never, no one in my family has lost their job because of, you know, mass immigration into a community that I lived in, you know. And I, but I am from an area with a lot of immigration. And one of the things that I've kind of come away with is my perspective may not be shared by a lot of people, but that doesn't necessarily invalidate my perspective. Mm. And then there's also this split thing of how I feel about different things is separate from my actual job today. You mm-hmm. know, I used to work in conservative media, and then it was like a very specific kind of thing that you were very yoked to. For instance, in 2012, like I spent most of my year sort of like yoked to Mitt Romney's fortunes. And that's not my – I have a very different job, which is not right. – my job is not about being conservative. Well,
0: now you're here as an undercover agent yeah, to no, turn Yeah, no, I'm an Right, conservative. exactly. Right.
1: Um, but no, no, that's not part of my – Job, so I've also had to think about that over a la- lot the last few years.
0: Well, and you le- and you left advocacy conservative journalism just at the right time because imagine if you had to be like churning out stories defending Donald Trump right now,
1: right? Which would be bad, and and you know most conservative media outlets don't,
0: right? Well, and and that's an interesting point because also I think you and I have both talked to a lot of people and kind of the political class who are Republicans, and there's this idea that a lot of them cling to that. Once Trump loses, as they expect he will and his most polls show he will, everything will kind of just like go back to how it was, right? Like, uh, you know, the fever will break and we'll we'll go back to like the like Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan era of the Republican Party. And I feel like it's easy to view, you know, if you zoom out, it's easy to view these two major political parties as like static fixtures in the landscape. But parties do change permanently sometimes, right? Right.
1: And and that was the big thing with Goldwater. And that's what's interesting about Goldwater. And there are, you know, a lot of people voted for Donald Trump and not, you know, he's unpopular, but a lot of people voted for Donald Trump. And what if there was a cleaner version of Donald Trump, a slightly smoother version of Donald Trump that could bring in a few more people Then you know, maybe that's a
0: different party. So maybe Trumpism really is kind of the new (laughs) the new ideology fueling the Republican Party.
1: Uh, maybe <laughs> I mean what do you, i I don't know what do you think I mean it's not the other night we, we I, both
0: have such great records of prediction this cycle yeah. though so I think we, yeah, owe so it we to should people. we
1: should go for it right no I, well I, the other night I went to sleep and Donald Trump had one campaign manager and one campaign chairman <laughs> and when I woke up five hours later he had a different it was like a whole different thing so i and it was
0: some it was the head of Breitbart news
1: <laughs> right So one of the things that has to happen after November, regardless of the outcome, is somebody has to be like, no, the Republican Party should be like this. And I don't necessarily have a great picture of who that person is and which way they'll want to push it. There will probably be multiple people who do that.
0: Well, and that's, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I've been writing for the last several years about, like, when this happened after 2012, right? And there were, like, Mitt Romney lost and there were all these different factions that came forward and said, the future of the Republican Party is, you know, moderate and pro-immigrant or the future of the Republican Party is libertarian or whatever. And there were all these competing factions and, uh, you know, leaders of these factions and they all ran for president. And nobody thought that out of that, you know, civil war would emerge Donald Trump as the Republican standard bearer, right? Right.
1: I think two things are important there. One is Paul Ryan's view of entitlements, which is to essentially make cuts in the long run to preserve Social Security and Mm -hmm. Medicare, is actually very unpopular. Very few people support it. And that makes it very hard to build an agenda around it.
0: And, and it's important to know, like when Paul Ryan was added to the Republican ticket as Mitt Romney's running mate in 2012, he was like widely hailed as the intellectual leader of the Republican Party. Right. So it's not like this was just his own little thing that he was doing. Like this was, you know, cutting Social Security, cutting Medicare to make them, uh, you know, sustainable yeah. long term. That was a core idea in conservative politics, and Donald Trump now is out there saying that I'm going to make the country so rich that we don't have to make any cuts to entitlement programs, right? Right. Which, is that a coherent ideology? However,
1: (laughs) the other thing that I think is also important is last year, we had all those candidates, and most of them kind of clustered in the center-right space on immigration, maybe some legalization, but we got to secure the border. And like, also we got to like reach out to, you know, Latino voters and, you know, it's kind of a little bit muddled all over the place. Trump was like extremely clear.
0: We're going to build the wall. Okay, believe me. We're going to build the wall.
1: Regardless of whether that's feasible or possible or any of that. And immigration has also dominated the democratic race this year. Hillary Clinton has been very liberal on immigration. She wants to go further than President Obama. And if that is something that's going to dominate politics in general over the next 10 years, those two positions, then you probably are going to see like probably a lot of high-income, college-educated people who tended to be Republican probably switch. And maybe you'll see some, some party switching. I don't know.
0: So th- this could be. I, I mean, I, I we were both at the Republican Convention in Cleveland, and I, I I felt like right after Trump accepted the nomination and finished his like crazy long like rambling speech hour and a half, yeah, um, and the balloons started falling and Rolling Stones started playing. Um, I remember that was like the moment where it like hit me what had happened here, like. Trump had ju- Donald Trump had just won the nomination. Like enough of the Republican Party had showed up at this convention to support him, it felt like something fundamentally different right. was happening.
1: People looked pretty excited in the room. <laughs> I don't know. I hadn't been to one before, but like people looked pumped on pump, pumped on the floor.
0: I mean, I was down on the floor, and like people were extremely excited. Like, there ready was a to sense, go. yeah, yeah. The, and there was a sense they were like, do they were taking part in something historic.
1: No, it definitely felt like something different. It was not. One of the things that was sort of like refreshing and fun for what, you know, besides all the bad stuff, right? <laughs> sort of refreshing and fun about Trump. It, there was no, no like platitudes. He didn't like pretend like. He did. He didn't do the fake things right. where you know you like hold up like some virtue of of politics or like you do a prayer that you know. And not that I'm just dist- not. I, you know where I'm going with this. So, but
0: Catherine I'm, Miller hates <laughs> prayers. You know, I'm pro
1: prayer. Um, <laughs> uh, he didn't do the like fake tweets about conservatism. He right. would just like tweet is like opinion whether it was funny or mean or whatever. He, he didn't go through the it.
0: motions the way that like Mitt Romney for example did yes. where he like said all the th- like paid lip service to all the conservative things that have been around since Goldwater, right? right?
1: And one of the things that that convention speech <laughs> didn't have in it was any of those things. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, none of the issues that you normally hear about. You don't usually you he didn't mention for instance abortion, which has been like a top mm-hmm. top issue of, of of the Republican Party for years. He didn't really talk about Israel, he didn't really talk about entitlements, he didn't talk about any of those things. And when you don't hear so a that, but when you don't hear the like kind of platitudes about, you know, the power of the individual and like <laughs> the shining city on the hill kind of talk.
0: This nation whose creative people have enhanced this entire span of history should again thrive upon the greatness of all those things which we we as individual citizens can and should do i have joined the political arena so that the powerful can no longer beat up on people who cannot defend themselves there was not a
1: lot of sort of principles of the enlightenment declaration of independence kind of thing and once you don't hear those things you're like wait where did it all go like Like, like, bring it back bring back the the check box checking please (laughs) you
0: you would rather have like the nominee like pay phony lip service service to to those things than to like invent his own brand of conservatism
1: yeah it's like "Mm, i don't necessarily like that uh and so it did feel it did feel different in that way it also was very heavy on heavy in a very like New York kind of authoritarian way on on crime and law and order and those things. And that's very that's that's different from how how national Republican politics
0: I have a message to every last person threatening the peace on our streets and the safety of our police. When I take the oath of office next year, I will restore law and order to our country. So is this, I guess, like the, the 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 big question hanging over all this is go back to that Goldwater announcement and then like go through this whole movement he started and all these institutions that blossomed out of it and all the campus conservative newspapers and all of this. I mean, what does Trump's rise say about that? It, could this actually be the end of... Of all of that, or a fundamental transformation of that conservative movement?
1: I don't think there's any reason that it couldn't be. I think there's a strong, like, conservative movement in the country that has a lot of different parts to it and different interests, and it doesn't really agree on a lot. Um, you know, you could have mass realignment in American politics. Why not? Like, it's happened before. It's happened several times before. There's also interesting parts of, you know, when I went back through a lot of this stuff from the past, is how much. Resentment can play in in sort of uh, making cohesive political movements. You know, there was there was in a way that conservatives don't often talk about. There was a lot of racial resentment in the '60s um, with during the Civil Rights right. Act and during the um, you know once you started getting into busing and all of these things. Um, there was a lot of resentment then. There was a lot of resentment in the '70s about the economy and taxes and those things that aren't necessarily ideological. Now, but there were ideological components for these other things. And, you know, what bothers people and what can be mass appealing to people is, is you know, that's that's important.
0: So when when we look at basically the history of movement conservatism from Goldwater all the way up to Catherine Miller's conservative newspaper <laughs> in college Torch. Uh, and we and then we we see the rise of Trump. Uh, who's really kind of reshaping the landscape in some critical ways, and and could reshape the debate uh, for years into the future? Do we know anything about whether this is the end of movement conservatism?
1: I don't think movement conservatism is going anywhere, but we definitely have some real unknowns about what the what the like ideological direction of the Republican Party is, and and I don't think that we, we know that much about what what the Republican Party platform. Like, the actual platform, not the fake one they put together in the summer. Like, the the ideological platform of the Republican Party looks like in two years. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's just very hard to know right now.
0: Catherine Miller is the political editor for BuzzFeed News. She wrote about this on the website BuzzFeed.com. You should go check it out. Uh, thanks for coming, Catherine.
1: Thank you for having me, McKay.
0: No One Knows Anything is produced by Meg Kramer. With editorial oversight from Catherine Miller and Eleanor Kagan. And production help from Julia Furlan. Our music was composed by Beauty Pill. Subscribe to No One Knows Anything on iTunes to follow our coverage through the election. On Twitter, we're at No One Knows. Or you can email us, No One knows Anything at buzzfeed.com. I'm McKay Coppins, and we'll be back soon with more things we don't know.